Welcome to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast, where we discuss all things mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. To get more information and resources, visit the website at therapyforblackgirls.com. And while I hope you love listening to and learning from the podcast, it is not meant to be a substitute for a relationship with a licensed mental health professional. Hey, y'all. Thanks so much for joining me for session 46 of the Therapy for Black Girls podcast. I could not think of a better way for us to close out Black History Month than today's interview with Shauna Murray-Brown. Shauna is the director and founder of Kindred Wellness, an integrative practice dedicated to honoring culture, expanding mindfulness, and holding safer space for changemakers, Black women leaders, and their families to heal. She holds a master's degree in social work from the University of Maryland, Baltimore, and a Bachelor of Science in Criminology and Family Science from the University of Maryland, College Park. Shauna is a licensed clinical social worker in the state of Maryland, Qigong instructor, speaker, and mind-body medicine practitioner. She provides liberation-focused integrative psychotherapy, community healing spaces, professional workshops, as well as Qigong and mind-body skills groups that honor the power of movement, breath, and connection to nature. She is a consultant to trailblazing organizations ready to tackle tough topics about race from the heart center. Shauna and I talked about some of the unique mental health concerns related to activism and advocacy, the importance of self-care and boundaries for activists, and her work with other therapists to create spaces that are anti-racist and liberation-focused. Here's our conversation. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Shauna. Yes, I'm so excited. (laughs) I'm very excited you were able to join us. So I knew that I wanted to have you on the podcast because you do some incredibly important work. Um, You work with activists, advocates, and change makers as a part of your practice. Can you tell us more about what those different um, populations are? Absolutely. So in my work, it's, it's twofold where I'm serving like women in um, leadership positions that are really, really passionate about social justice. And then and from a community aspect, I'm serving activists from a, on a broad perspective, right? So this could be the activist that's a community organizer that is really connected to the, um, the, the grassroots movements around um, political activism. It could be folks in public office that are sort of low-key, really, really pro-Black and for social justice, but seem to have to wear like a mask in their spaces. It could be an advocate that's working, you know, as a case manager or a social worker, but feels like their life is driven by social justice. So very much so across the gamut, I'm working with folks who at their core feel like they have dedicated their life to social justice and or black liberation. 
Yeah, Shauna. Yes. So, you know, I think, again, this is incredibly important work. Can you tell me, like, how you got into this work? Like, what made you decide that this was going to be the population that you targeted for your practice? Now, this is like a really deep, like, I knew you were going to ask this question. And I was like, oh, what am I going to say? Because it's so deep. Um, I would, I have to say that my life walk has guided me to this space. I was very much so an activist um, growing up in high school and then in college. I was really like, you know, wearing the Afro with the black power fist, doing all of those things. But I sort of left that and ended up doing um, and found myself doing just therapy and wasn't really sure who I wanted to focus in on until later. I would say that after um, this Black Lives Matter movement started to happen and some of my own personal experiences where my family was directly impacted by the um, the Black Lives Matter uh, movement um, and the tragedies of it, um, I really had to sit with myself and figure out, you know, how could I um, really live a life that would be centered in legacy and like doing really powerful and honorable work honoring my ancestors and so during that time where I was really contemplating that I was super duper pregnant like super super duper like wobbling and um, a community organization that I helped to co-found that is now like doing really honorable work asked me to do to offer healing spaces for um, some activists here in Baltimore City after one of our trailblazing activists was um, murdered by way of community violence. And during that time, I'm holding these spaces, you know, um, community folks are like, Shauna, I would never go to therapy, but you a therapist, you cool. I would love to come to therapy with you, but it was like 45 people. So, so I was like, I love y'all and I can't. But what that, what that highlighted for me was I needed to ensure and provide the support and training and guidance for other folks to be able to do this work explicitly. So I would say the community called me to this work as well as my sort of life path. Yeah, isn't that so amazing? And see, that's why I think it's so important to be exposed to so many different kinds of therapists who are doing different kinds of things, because I think all it takes is one experience with a therapist who is unlike what you thought therapy was like to open up your eyes to how therapy can be helpful for you. It's the truth. I mean, all of us are not the same. We're not a monolith. And like for me, the I'm like deeply, um, I, I participate very often in all of the things happening in the community and grassroots level in Baltimore City. So folks know me and it's normalized and really destigmatized this whole concept of what it means to go to therapy because I will be like, hey, boo. And yes, I'm a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> right. Those two things do not have to, ex you know, exist separate from one another. Yep. Right. So can you talk about some of the unique mental health needs and challenges maybe related to um, the kinds of people that you typically see in your practice, like activists and advocates and those kinds of things? Absolutely. So, I mean, it really runs the gamut, but I would say that some of the underlying things is that we're looking at things from a, a framework where things are masked, meaning like 
aggression is showing up in a, in a different way. You might not know that the person is struggling with uh, deep-seated anger because they're crafted so well and eloquently and they're on their Twitter feed or, <laughs> you know, that their emails don't seem like that that's what's happening or they feel like they have to sort of alter themselves because they're in the public eye. Um, increased suspicion, right? So because many of the folks that I'm serving could be in high profile um, roles and responsibilities or they might be like, I have thousands and thousands of followers. They might be on CNBC, right? So because of these things, they're wondering, okay, can I really trust this person? Is this person out to get me? So suspicion, suspicion of the genuineness of the folks around them is a thing that often comes up. Um, I would say like suppression of your emotions through um, alcohol use, smoking weed, um, spending money, you know, shopping, but absolutely like not being able to spend a lot of time focusing on their own well-being and sort of picking up whatever is around them to sort of cope. Um, and the same thing would be with eating, not eating often, right, or eating too much. And the things that they're eating is not um, particularly healthy because, you know, they feel like they're always on, like they can't shut off, like they're running against the clock. I mean, that's a, a few of the things, um, Joy, but like, I mean, it, it's, it, it runs the gamut uh, uh, of all of the sort of mental health challenges that we might see um, in our community. It just, I would just say it looks different. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was going to add that, you know, you're adding all of this on top of the like all the other mental health challenges that we might typically see someone come into therapy for. Um, and something that you you said that really struck me related to like the suspiciousness, right? And like kind of paranoia that is sometimes very warranted. Um, you know, and we talked about that. I've talked about that with other guests, like this kind of cultural paranoia about like what's going on in the world and like mm -hmm. not knowing who you can trust. Mm -hmm. So what kinds of things are you maybe doing with your clients um, to kind of help to um, assuage some of this like paranoia? Like how do you help them deal with that? So I think like I tell them really explicitly like that oftentimes their paranoia, it makes sense the way that they're sort of reflecting on it, right? Oftentimes folks have um, my clients have read about historical figures and where something happened to them when they were at, in the limelight and they were doing all of this these social justice movements and they were taken out by the government, right? And so I affirm and, and sit with them about the fact that, yes, history, history shows that these things have happened and let's sort of get clear about where the fear and the shame and all these other emotions, what's fueling this paranoia? What are the worst things that could happen and what has actually happened? So really bringing them into the present moment, oftentimes using mindfulness meditation, Qigong, which is a traditional Chinese form of meditation and movement, um, prayer and ritual, right? And alignment with whatever their sort of religious or spiritual background is. I sort of try to bring them back into the moment like, okay, you're cool now, right? Like, <laughs> let's, let's take a scan and then let's get clear about what might be fueling these thoughts. And it's usually a bunch of stuff layered on top of it that's fueling their, their paranoia. Yeah, understandably. Yeah, I mean, the other thing that I would say is everything for the 
the activist or change maker it's, it's amplified you know what i mean because these are um leaders like these are the same folks where you know uh community sort of calls them whenever something happens within the city right like so what are we going to do the police did x y and z you know they are expected to know what the next step is and so you know Uh, there's a lot of things and a lot of people that they're interacting with that they may not even personally know. They could be walking around in the street and somebody just comes up to them. You were on the news or I know who you are or I follow you on Twitter and you just, you know, so it's normalizing it and then helping them sort of get, figure out some tools to be able to get grounded when they are out in the community so that they can be their best possible self. I would also imagine, Shona, that another thing that probably comes up or probably something that you're on the lookout for when you're working with these clients are ways that they're taking care of yourself, care of themselves, right? Because you just mentioned, like, you know, complete strangers will look to them to be able to, like, galvanize the community and, like, we need to do something about this. And so the only way you can do that is if, of course, you're taking care of yourself. So what kinds of things are you, um, like, encouraging your clients to do in terms of, like, self-care? Absolutely. So I think one of the underlying things that I tend to have to break through with my clients is that they are worthy of taking a break and that if they take a break or if they take some time to care for themselves, that they are not doing the community harm, right? So they sort of hold this sort of weight on their shoulders where they're like, well, you know, I have to keep going. If I do this, you know, then something else may happen. Um, And so the way that we sort of I, I bring them down to really strategizing about self-care is I always start with reflecting on history, history and culture. And I know you might be like, what girl, what do you mean you're reflecting on history? I ask them to reflect on folks that they are inspired by that is, have done powerful work. And we seek to find out how did they take care of themselves and how, how did that work for them? And that's really important because it helps to like reaffirm why it's important for them to take care of themselves. If we can't find this, any narrative for them around what worked, um, then and then usually there's a story that follows about, you know, why that movement wasn't sustainable. So, um, so certainly my breath, I always start folks with learning how to breathe. I ask the question, so you think you know how to breathe? And then, you know, they're like, of course I know how to breathe, girl. I'm breathing right now. I'm right here. But I teach them how to do diaphragmatic or belly breathing, right? How to get into their body. Um, I I teach them about um, some grounding techniques like drinking water, like carrying things in their pocket to support them um, and being able to calm in the midst of in the midst of the work that they're doing. But I also work with them on like scheduling time in for themselves. So the activist has, might have several actions to do or the tenured faculty that's doing participatory research may feel like they, you know, their schedule is booked to capacity with all of these outputs. Um, and so I work with them to sort of find the time and redefining like what time looks like for them to, to commit to themselves. So oftentimes there's like this misconception that, oh, I have to take like a full on spa day. Um, it's going to cost me however many hundreds of dollars and I don't have that. And so we demystify those concepts of self-care being something that costs a whole lot of money. 
<laughs> and we simplify it to actually like, no, it's let's schedule in time for lunch. <laughs> let's, you know, f- figure out a way where you can do use, use this app to help you do some meditation or just taking a walk. Right. And so scheduling the time out really helps to helps folks to really get reconnected to themselves. So Shauna, I'd really like to hear more about like the healing circles that you do as a part of your work. Can you share more about what that looks like and how those are useful? Absolutely. So um, the the initiative here in the city that I've established is called Healing Be More Activist. And essentially what it is, is it's two and a half hours every month that's free to activists in the community um, in partnership with other Black organizations. The spaces are specifically for Black and Brown change makers, activists, and advocates. So the first, like, we do a check-in, right? Folks are getting to know each other. Reconnecting is usually like a mini community or family reunion. <laughs> so we do a check-in where folks are, are practicing naming their feelings, getting into the moment and practicing breath. Um, there is a movement aspect that's infused into the experience. So um, one of the ones that's coming up here in February, they're going to start with some yoga and they're going to have a 45-minute yoga session that's going to be centered in them returning to their bodies and affirming the powerful work that they're doing, but honoring themselves beyond the work that they're doing, right? Like that your worthiness isn't associated only with the work that you do for community. And then they eat, right? So we break bread. um, Everybody gets to eat for free. It's dinner included. And while we break bread, while we are um, connecting over food, we are um, dissecting and reflecting Um, in the sacred space, some of the deep-seated issues that they've presented they'd like to explore. So I surveyed um, activists and change makers here in the city of Baltimore, and I asked them, like, what are the things that you feel like you are struggling with? What are the things that you wish you knew? What are the things that you need? And then we took that data and we sort of infused it into the experience. So, like, the next um, healing space will be, we'll be talking about how oftentimes the narratives of pain Um, have uh, been infused into their personal identity and how to do the healing work, but changing the pain story into a story of transformation so that you're not doing social justice work from a place of pain, but from a place of love. Um, and, and yeah, so those things that sort of happens on a, on a monthly basis here in the city, it is a new initiative that I'm really, really excited about because the support that we've gotten in the city has allowed us to do it for free. Nice. And that sounds like an incredibly powerful experience. Like I definitely have heard more talk about, you know, like not having to have your narrative be wound up with pain, but how can you then use it to, like you mentioned, be transformational? Yeah, I mean, because the truth of the matter, Joy, is that usually about 100% of the time, like the experiences that activists are, are navigating through they're listening to and honoring the pulse of community, right? But they're also dealing with their own family challenges, you know, like their own experiences and often fate come, come to term, have to come to terms with, are they going to utilize their platform solely for the initiatives of community or are they going to be able to honor themselves? I can't tell you how many um, of the 
the folks that I'm serving have, you know, have they had their own sort of personal family tragedies that they don't talk about. They don't mention um, until they've been sort of nur- nourished and nurtured into let's sort of build community in a village around you so that you're not coping with this um, in a silo. Yeah. And that kind of makes me think of, you know, like just like anything else could be used as a way of avoiding these other issues in our lives. It feels like maybe activism could also be one of those things, right? Like it feels very important to throw yourself into into this kind of work, but it can also, I would imagine, separate you from the other issues that you do have going on in your life. Absolutely. And I think it goes both ways, right? Where you're not, you're not dealing with your personal stuff or, you know, you are, um, you're really sort of dis, I I would just say disengaged even in the work that you're doing because of it. So you're never present, not in the community aspect or in your personal life. It's true. It can function as a drug, just like anything else. It can Mm -hmm. function like an addiction. Right, right. So another important part of the work that you do is to train other mental health professionals about how racism impacts the work that they do as therapists. So can you talk more about how you got into this work and maybe share some topics that you discuss in these trainings? It sounds very, very interesting. Absolutely. So I would say that I got to this, I had to be reminded, I had to be continually pushed into having these conversations, I would say, because it showed up in two ways. One way was, so you remember I mentioned the um, the healing spaces that I held in the city of Baltimore the first time for activists that sort of led me to establish the initiatives. And so at the end of that, you know, all of the folks that were participating in these healing spaces were talking about their horrible experiences with therapy and how, you know, they're not going to go and talk to some white woman or a black woman that doesn't know that they're black. And that was, you know, some of the, the, recurring theme that would come up as well as, and just in my professional setting, like I had these experiences where I had colleagues that were well-meaning white professionals who, you know, maybe they're sitting across from a young black boy or a black girl who, who discloses to them that they wish they were white. And the therapist sort of freezes, doesn't know where to go from that space, um, you know, allows the, the child to continue to express these um, uh, manifestations of really internalized um, um, inferiority and self-hatred and um, does nothing with it. Like I literally had an experience where a colleague of mine had that experience with a client, came to me for support and consult, right? And so I shared with her some strategies that she could use, um, gave her like a book to read and, and um, sought out um, training that didn't exist for her to be able to redefine or re um, to figure out what the powerful and healthy next steps would be for her client. And she became so overwhelmed and disillusioned with the concept of the fact that she could be perpetuating racism, that whiteness was a thing, that her white privilege could somehow be harming her client, that she became, she lost herself, I would say, in the shame and guilt and, and did nothing. Like she never readdressed those topics. And so that child continued to exhibit these topics that, 
at the end of the day, I ended up having to like go above and beyond to figure out a way to effectively and ethically address those things. So though that those situations in my professional um, experience um, really left me in a space of fury <laughs> and fuels a lot of the what happens in the training space. So you you asked me to talk a little bit about what happens in the training and what kind of topics we're exploring. And so oftentimes where we start is we unpack this concept of race. I say very explicitly that if you, folks aren't going, are not going to be okay with being uncomfortable, then the training space um, with me isn't the space for them, right? That it's going to be a space of growth. Um, I try to center it also around and like not shaming folks for their, their um, ignorance or, you know, the experiences that they've had where they thought that they were doing the right thing and, and centering ourselves um, in mindfulness and using mind body medicine to support us and being able to stay present. But we unpack like different scenarios where I'm asking clinicians, like, how would you handle this very same scenario that I found myself with my colleague? Or what does it look like when these um, topics of race um, or white supremacy or white uh, privilege sort of show up um, in um, and leadership. And we unpack those, folks become really, really uncomfortable. And then I share with them some concepts around Black psychology, liberation psychology, and ways that we can um, apply those concepts to and those strategies and frameworks in a way that could help them better serve their clients. And so generally, like, what is the outcome from your trainings? Because, of course, you know, it will take more than one training for somebody to really get it. Um, but I am curious about, like, the kind of feedback that you get and, like, how people then may be able to continue to work with you or, like, what kind of, you know, like, what is the pattern then after they've completed maybe this first training? Absolutely. So at the end of the training, they have gone through, they do some personal and self-reflection where they are really doing a self-assessment about what their biases are and expressing um, really honestly with themselves what areas they feel like they need to do some healing for themselves in order to show up best for clients. And then they, where they dissect their, the frameworks that they're using in their practice um, and f try to identify how whiteness may be perpetuated within those frameworks or what's missing. And they they sort of outline like what their questions are. I provide a resource guide of um, different books and videos and things that folks can, can, can utilize. But I also um, find myself working more long-term with larger institutions where I have a series uh, called Liberation Focused Healing, where I'm Real, literally supporting um, supporting teams of clinicians and dissecting these topics, um, doing um, case study, case management, um, um, applying these these themes, and I'm doing clinical supervision um, for trailblazing clinicians that are ready to really sort of unpack the stuff and figure out how to show up in a different light. But I always sort of share with them that like you have to do your own healing work as well in order to effectively hold space. Um, and that's, it's an ongoing thing. Like none of us are ever done, you know, like no matter if you are a person of color, a black 
person or if you are a person of privilege, a white privilege, you're a white person, like we all have work to do because we've all been negatively impacted by racism and white supremacy in America. And so, Shona, you make it clear in your work that there is a difference between the things that you teach in terms of like being anti-racist versus liberation focus. So can you talk more about what that difference is? Absolutely. So like for, so it's really important for folks to understand that racism is systemic, right? And so it shows up um, in every aspect, in every entity, in every institution that we interface with. And so for me to say that I am an anti-racist social worker, right, that would mean that I am doing work beyond the couch to try to seek to dismantle the institutions that perpetuate these experiences of, um, of Black pain, right? Whereas to say that I'm liberation focused, that then informs how I'm engaging my clients on the couch. Like what strategies, what methods, what frameworks am I using to support them and being able to return to a sense of freedom or to find a sense of freedom that really honors their existence and experiences in America? Does that make sense? Yeah. So it sounds like more like strengths focused. Mm -hmm. Strengths focused, but from a framework that is um, honoring their their blackness. Mm-hmm. So, um, to be anti-racist might mean that I am working on policy or advocating for policy or advocating for change in the way that that an academic institution trains other social workers, right? But for me to say that I am liberation focused might mean that the the way that I'm engaging my client is going to be. Um, how am I going to support them in establishing a strategy that recognizes the fact that they're interfacing with these racist, racist environments? So that's where the black um, psycho- psychological uh, framework sort of comes in. Like, am I looking at this from the context of the black person in their environment? Got you. Got you. So like I've talked about before, you know, this is incredibly important work that you do, but I can also imagine that it can be like exhausting and frustrating. Like just even sometimes having conversations, you know, with colleagues on Facebook, like will leave you drained. So I can imagine like doing this work more directly the way you are would leave you even more exhausted and frustrating. So how like do you take care of yourself and like what other suggestions might you have for other therapists or other activists who are doing some of this work to take care of themselves while doing it. Absolutely. It gets real. Okay. So I have some rules for myself about engaging on social media specifically. And that is that I only, you know, that I, that I only engage if I feel like I have a, a solid resource where I'll be able to give them. I really try to be really intentional about like, okay, here's a resource. And then I disengage. Like I give the resource and I'll walk away. If folks want more, they can reach out. Um, but I also limit my time on social media. So like if I see someone that continue, that's continually posting like horrendous things that I feel like are damaging to my psyche, um, I'm going to unfollow and delete, right? Um, when it comes to how I just take care of myself in general, I mean, I'll wake up and walk into my day in, um, in a rhythm or ritual, right? So I'll wake up to prayer, you know, I'm listening to 
Oprah and Deepak Chopra's meditation on Pandora. You know, I am um, drinking and sipping my tea as I'm walk, walking through my day. I am sitting in meditation and creating my day and using visualization to keep me grounded. And honestly, Joy, like I only work a couple of days out of the week because it's really intense when I do work. So I'm working two and a half to three days out of the week. And then the rest of the time I'm committing to being with family and um to being with family and uh and rejuvenating myself or doing nothing it might mean doing absolutely nothing um and then the last thing i would say is like i tried to really get away and unplug right um get being with um, my sisters um sister circles within the community and village um and so the ways that i would say that i would encourage other therapists other activists um just listeners to really sort of pour in. Um, I, I mean, of course, you know, I'm a mind body medicine practitioner. So I'm like, explore mindfulness, y'all, you know, be alone, spend time alone, get in solitude, focus on your breathing, explore meditation, um, try yoga, try Qigong, try Tai Chi. Um, do it from um, your YouTube channel. If you can't, you know, go to a class, um, but also like figuring out, really simple ways to infuse mindfulness or ways to be um, intentional into your day. So an example might be, so like in a few hours, I'm going to um, unplug and I'm just going to sit and focus on my breathing for a couple minutes, or I'm just going to drink my tea with my eyes closed and listen to some, some tunes. So scheduling time to really reconnect. Um, and then the last thing that I can, that, that comes to mind in the moment is connecting to community. Like I really feel like central to the healing and well-being of us as black and brown people is um, reconnecting to each other offline. So like go just spending time together. Um, talking, going to community events that are celebratory, that allow for space for con developing genuine relationships. Um, like that has been sort of my saving grace. Those all sound like amazing strategies, Shauna. And I really like how you infuse so many different kinds of modalities into your work, like the Qigong and the yoga and the mindfulness. Like, I think, you know, you can get a little bit of everything, it sounds like, in working with you in your practice. I, I try, you know, you might do some Qigong in the middle. I might be like, okay, so we're going to breathe because you're not breathing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, also humor. I mean, Joy, like, we need to laugh. Like, Seriously, this yeah. stuff is so heavy. I mean, if we need to, like, who is it? I, there's somebody that I follow on Facebook, and sometimes I just go to his Facebook page because he's a comedian, and I just push plat. What is it, Kev on stage? Kev on stage. Ah! Mm -hmm. I figured that's who you were talking about. <laughs> listen, listen, sometimes you just have to laugh, and I, yes. I certainly also infuse like those sort of um, comic relief into all of the work that I'm doing. So you know, you gotta pay attention though. Sometimes it just sneaks sneaks with you it's time it's time to giggle and we just gotta do it <laughs> right so you have mentioned some incredible you know kinds of modalities and different things and I'm sure people are going to want like some resources for like how they can find out more about what you're talking about so what are some of your favorite resources for these things you've mentioned like the mindfulness and the anti-racism work and the liberation focus work like what are some of your favorite resources that people may want to check out 
Yes. So, okay. So a national sort of resource for everybody, like no matter where you are, like checking out the emotional emancipation circles. Um, it's an initiative by the Community Healing Network and the Association of Black Psychologists. And oftentimes they, these are free healing spaces for people of color to do um, to get to, to do this unpacking around um, the cultural trauma and the, the race-based trauma that we've been um, enduring. Um, and so, you know, Joy, I'll make sure that I share that with you. Um, and, and on their website, they actually have like a, a self-care toolkit that they created specifically for people of color and seeking to do some healing work for themselves. So that's one of my favorites. Um, another would be... Um, there's a healing platform that I actually established a couple of years ago. It's called Evolve, um, Sacred Self-Work to Heal a Sister. And essentially, like, it's like, if folks are familiar with Blackboard, it's like healing on Blackboard. So it's in alignment with the chakra system, um, which is an energetic um, system that supports sort of the energy within your body. It helps you to align with your your body and being so on this platform you can do everything from yoga and belly dancing to guided meditations to classes about how to um change your pain story to a story of power and transformation and all of this has been curated on this website where you can just sort of log in and get access so that's pretty dope um and that's at healassista.com um there is a super awesome and amazing sister. Her name is Dr. Candace Nicole. She established uh, a Black Lives Matter meditation for healing racial trauma um, on her website. It, like you can literally like push play and get your meditation on. And it's specifically curated for folks that are connected to and identify as activists. So I think that is all super awesome. And I think I have one more. You guys want for one more, Joy? Yes, ma'am. All right. Um, the Headspace app. So, like, I love apps, okay? And especially for folks that are doing so much um, so often, the, app, the mindfulness app called Headspace is really awesome because then it, it will prompt you or remind you to take a breath. It will, you can listen to a guided meditation like that lasts one or two minutes or even 10 minutes, depending on where you are and check it. It's free y'all. I mean, of course they have like <laughs> an aspect where you do have to pay, but you get a pretty good amount on that application for free. And so I think like those are, those are some of my most favorites. And of course, if folks are in the Baltimore area, the Healing Be More Activist um, healing space, like that is, it's free and it's, it's about to go down. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so are there any other events or other things that'll be coming out of your practice that you want to share with the audience? Yeah. Okay. So let's see. Um, so one of the other initiatives that I established specifically for the healing of black women is called the Heal Assista Project, which is sacred spaces for um, 
for teaching women how to heal themselves using movement, meditation, and sisterhood. So, like, I don't know when this is going to come out, but quarterly we have um, Sister Circle mini retreats that occur that are either free 99 or, you know, up to $35. And it's literally like a four-hour healing space where sisters come together, we eat, you're going to do some movement, you might the next one we have coming up is Qigong. We are exploring the black female form. And you know where that came from, don't you? Don't you? Don't you? That's how we. She's got to have it. So we're unpacking some of the realities that have to do with being a black woman in America. Um, and everybody leaves with some really concrete tools to be able to apply to them li- their lives um, from a mind-body perspective. Um, healing be more activist. Yeah, we're doing that healing work. I think. I think that's, I think that's it. Yeah. I mean, and if any therapists are listening and they're interested in doing some training, you know, um, connecting with me on my website is the best way to, yeah, it's the best way for us to move forward because I'm doing a couple of trainings around specifically healing, um, be more activist and training for folks that are interested in how to apply the, this framework of, um, liberation focused healing. And what is your website, Shona? Where can oh, you we find all of that? <laughs> that's important. That's www.shaunamurraybrown, with an E, dot com. And www.healasista, S-I-S-T-A, dot com. And any social media handles you want to share? Yep. You can follow me on Twitter at Shauna M. Brown, with an E. Or on IG at Healer Sister, S I S T A. And last but certainly not least, I have two Facebook pages. One is Kindred Wellness, um, and the other is Shauna Murray Brown, LCSWC. Perfect. Oh, and then we have a Facebook group, y'all. It's already like 1,700 sisters in the spot, and it's the Healer Sister Project. Um, so it's hashtag Healer Sister. Nice. And all of this information, of course, will be in the show notes for everybody to find very easily. Yes. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with us today, Shauna. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Joy. You're welcome. I hope that y'all enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Shauna is such an incredible sister. To learn more about her work and to check out the resources she mentioned, visit the show notes at therapyforblackgirls.com slash session 46. We'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback about the episode. So please make sure to share them with us on social media by using the hashtag TBG in session. You can also tag our social media accounts. We're at therapy for the number four B girls on Twitter and at therapy for black girls on both Instagram and Facebook. Remember that if you're looking for a therapist in your area, be sure to check out the therapist directory that you can find at therapyforblackgirls.com slash directory. And if you want a place to chat about the episode with other listeners or discuss other topics relevant to you, join us over in the Thrive Tribe, which is our Facebook community. You can request to join at therapyforblackgirls.com slash tribe. Please continue to share your love for the podcast by sharing it in your Insta stories on Twitter and texting those who should also check it out. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, please also consider leaving us a review. Thanks so much again for joining me this week. 
I'm looking forward to continuing this conversation with you all real soon. Take good care. <laughs>